We praise you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We celebrate you. We honour you. We lift up your name and magnify your name because you are truly great. May we announce your name from the mountains, in the valleys, wherever we are. May our lives speak boldly the name of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. So let's give a thank you to our wonderful worship team. They are fantastic, aren't they? Please take your seat. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jackie Gray. I've been coming here for a a number of years as part of this church. My parents, much longer. But before I came to Imaginations, I was actually living overseas as a missionary, doing missions work for uh, quite a a few years in Turkey, in the beautiful city of Izmir, which is ancient Smyrna in the book of Revelation. Part of what I was doing there was church planting and all sorts of activities. But when I first arrived, I was really quite ignorant of a lot of Turkish culture. I was learning the language, language and culture are intermingled, as many of you know. And I, one of my first things that I had to do was start to understand all the cultural things that were going on around me. My first week in the church, because I couldn't really speak much Turkish, I said, well, I'm here, what would you like me to do? And they said, well, you can help with the hospitality. <laughs> you don't have to speak too much for that. And so I began. Uh, and at the end of the service, we'd go around and we would offer morning tea and cups of tea to everyone who came, because t- tea is big in Turkey. And so I would go around and, would you like a cup of tea? Yes. Oh, here you go. Would you like a cup of tea? Yes. Oh, Another one? Would like a cup of tea? Yes? Wow, everyone's saying yes. Tea for you, tea for you, tea for everyone. And so I was passing around the tea. But I realised at the end, not everyone drank their cup of tea. A lot of people left it sitting there. They actually didn't want the tea, but they said yes. And I gave them the tea. This happened for a few weeks, and then I began to think, well, maybe there's something going on here I'm not quite getting. And I noticed it happened everywhere else. I'd go, everyone says yes. And it began to twig that in Turkey, it's what's called an honour-shame culture. So you you have to be honouring to the other person. So if someone asks you a question, your answer is always yes. You don't want to embarrass that person. I'm giving them tea. You don't want to embarrass them. But what I also found was that just because someone said yes, it didn't mean it was a yes. Sometimes their yes was a no. But sometimes their yes was a yes. So I had to work out, how do I know the difference (laughs) between a yes, yes, and a yes, no? I thought, I'm Australian, surely I can, you know, I know, yeah, nah, surely I can get this. Surely, I've got an edge here that the others don't. Watch out, American friends, I'm going to show you how it's done. So I began to explore, okay, how can I tell the difference between a yes, yes, and a yes, no? And so I began to watch very carefully. When I'd hand out the tea, would you like a cup of tea? And I'm there watching. (laughs) I'm looking for the cues. What are the cultural cues for it to be a yes, yes? So so I'm like doing this awkward tea. Yes, no, yeah, yeah, yep. Just take it. (laughs) And every time, so I'm yes. And then slowly, slowly I'm beginning to work out, oh, that was, that's that's a yes, yes. Uh Enjoy. (laughs) Yes, 
I said, yes, no, move along. I slowly, slowly began to work out the difference. It was very subtle, very subtle cultural differences. And so at first it was frustrating because I thought they're all saying yes. Like, isn't that wrong? Shouldn't they just say yes or no? And sometimes I'd say thank you. Oh, that's worse. (laughs) Yes or no? It's a yes or no question and you say thank you. (laughs) Come on, help me out here. And so I slowly realised that, well, for all of the Turkish people, they know the difference between the yes, yes and the yes, no. They've grown up in it. I began to ask Turkish people, how do you know the difference between a yes, yes and a yes, no? They're like, I don't know. I just know. I just, I can tell. Well, how do I tell? I don't know. (laughs) You've got to work it out. So I began this crusade to work out the difference between yes, yes and yes, no. And it took a long time. Actually, a couple of years, <laughs> obviously a bit slow, but it took a long time to work out the difference that what everyone in the culture knew was obvious was not obvious to me. I had to learn it. The kids grew up knowing the difference between the yes, yes and the yes, no. They did it. They participated in it, but I had to learn it. And it was actually one day I was walking along the street and uh, I had to stop and ask someone a question, a yes, no question, a stranger of, is such and such down here? And they answered, and I realised they answered a yes, no. It was like this thunderstruck moment when I realised I got it. I understood it. I finally was kind of understanding the culture, and it was second, becoming second nature. And I found I started doing it. It became really tricky when I got home. <laughs> anyway, would you like a cup of tea? Yes. Um, and I realised... I'm now, I get it. I'm part of the culture. This cultural practice is now second nature to me. I've adapted. I've learnt it. And it was this wonderful moment of realisation. I was, it, was, it was almost like Professor Henry Higgins appeared right next to me from My Fair Lady. Went, She's got it. Finally. <laughs> She's got it. And so I had learnt one aspect <laughs> of the Turkish culture. A culture is all the different things that we take for granted in the community that we live in. It's what's normal. And we learn a culture by living it, by doing it. You know, when we become Christians, we're born into a new kingdom. We become part of a new kingdom. Just as I relocated, excuse me, got lots of hay fever messing with my voice. When I flew into Turkey, I flew into a new kingdom, had to get a passport. Fortunately, as Christians, we don't have to get a passport, but we become part of a new kingdom. If you say, yes, I identify, I believe in Jesus, I'm a new creation, you've gone from the old kingdom into a new kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom, we call it a spiritual kingdom. But this kingdom has a new culture. So when you become a Christian, you are bona fide resident of this new kingdom. But you've still got to learn the culture of the kingdom. Jesus is the king and he sets the culture for the kingdom that we now live in. And so when we become Christians then, when we join this new kingdom, we've got to learn how to live in it. We've got to learn all the different 
aspects of this new culture. Now, for some, it might be easier than others, but we all have to learn to be part of this kingdom culture. So the first question, we've got two questions we're going to ask. The first question is, well, what is that kingdom culture that we now live in? And secondly, how do we get it? How do we begin to develop uh, our understanding and practice of this new culture that we live in? What is our new kingdom culture? Jesus gives us a taste of the kingdom culture in his Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. He gives us a vision of what this culture looks like. Now, it's really important because he's standing like Moses on the mountaintop, but it's really important that we see that Jesus doesn't give us a law. The culture of this kingdom is not a list of do and don'ts. It's not a list of, oh, I've now got to do this and I've got to do that. Our kingdom culture that Jesus gives us is a vision of how to live, a vision to orient our lives, a vision of who we can become. And ultimately, that vision is to become like Jesus. Jesus says in in Matthew 5, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So picture Jesus standing on a mountaintop and he's given his listeners or the people who are following him a vision of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. It's not do's or don'ts. It's not you must be humble or tick, I'm now or I'm now humble. (laughs) It's not following a list of do's or don'ts. It's not following rules, but it's giving you a vision of who you can be of who you should be, to aspire towards. It's even future-orientated, isn't it? You will be filled. You will see God. But the wonderful thing about this vision is that it starts with blessing. Blessed. What does it mean to, what does he mean by that? Is it just be happy or prosperous or you'll now own five Xbox and 50 pairs of Nikes. It's not about accumulation or consumerism, but to be blessed is to have God's favour upon you, is to have God's Jesus' presence with us as he promises us. Uh, and it's to being content, being shalom, in peace. And who are blessed? It's people who aspire towards these very characteristics that Jesus is talking about. It's not the, the wealthy, it's not the, 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 those who have high status, it's not those who are honoured in our community necessarily, it's those who aspire to be like Jesus. And what characterises these people? Well, we see from this list, they're humble. They're not too th- thinking too high of themselves. 
Uh, They're people who put their trust in God. They're grieved when they see injustice. They're meek and they're gentle. To be meek is not weak, but it's to use your power for good. It's being merciful. It's being compassionate. It's being pure in heart, having pure motives, not serving our own interests. It's about being a peacemaker. It's about loving. In fact, Jesus summarises all of this by saying, essentially, love God and love others. But, and we live this out in whatever culture, whatever situation we're in. That's the best part about it. Because if it's a law, you've got to try and do it in whatever situation you're in. And it can be not quite work for what, what situation you're in. But to live towards a code, a vision, we can do that anywhere. We can be in our workplace, we can be studying for our HSC exams, we can be out on the cricket field and living our vision of honouring Jesus with our very lives. Ephesians 5 says, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus is our example. He gives us this vision of who we can be. And so a question we can ask of ourselves of, who am I becoming? Am I becoming like Jesus? All sorts of church traditions have this idea. For the Catholics, they call it perfection. For Protestants, we call it sanctification of of being made holy. For the Orthodox, they call it theosis. Actually, it means becoming like God. And I love that idea of, it's almost like a marriage. You know, when you know, married people, they've been married for a long time, they kind of talk like one another, <laughs> look a bit like one another, finish each other's sentence. Can you imagine finishing Jesus' sentence for him because you know him so well? <laughs> that idea of being, being changed, becoming like the, the vision that we have of who Christ is. And so you might think, wow, that's a pretty tough call. It is a bit overwhelming, isn't it? When you think of, oh, I've got to be like that. I've got to be like Jesus. Like, that's wonderful, but it's pretty tough. Hard. It's hard to do in the everyday, isn't it? It's hard to do and put into practice in our lives when we're surrounded by people who don't follow Christ or are even hostile towards some of these even virtues or characteristics that are described here. So how do we do it? How do we live in our new kingdom culture? Well, first of all, learning a new culture doesn't happen in an instant. It's a process. Just as I had to learn the Turkish culture little by little, and by doing it, we learn the kingdom culture of Christ. We learn it little by little. We learn it step by step as we do it. It's a process. It might seem strange at first. It might feel awkward or foreign by choosing uh, to you know, be humble or choosing to respond with a kind word instead of a harsh word or rebuke. It might be, seem strange and, and almost inauthentic. You know, the, the, the message today is you've got to be authentic. Well, actually, we've got to be authentic to Christ. We've got to be authentic to the vision of who we are becoming, not who we are now. We've got to be authentic to our true self, which is being made in the image of God. And so we have to sometimes unlearn our old behaviour patterns. We have to unlearn things that, because it's just normal. We grew up with it. 
We've got to unlearn some of these things that are not part of the, the culture of the kingdom. And our goal is to be transformed to be just like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 to 18, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed incrementally, little by little, into the image of the Creator, the one who made us, the one who has a good intentions for us, who has purpose for us, and the one who we adore and long to be like. Notice, though, as well, that the Holy Spirit is involved in this process. We don't do it alone. So first of all, we have to recognise to be part of the kingdom culture takes time. If you fall down, dust yourself off, get up, keep going. Because that's actually an attribute as well of the kingdom, isn't it? Sort of being resilient, being picking yourself up and keeping, keeping going, not, not turning back to the old ways. We also must remember that we renew our minds. Because to change our behaviour requires a change in our thinking. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So if you want to know God's will for your life, get your thinking right. And then God will show you, because it's easy. It's following him, being like him in whatever situation you are facing uh, at the moment. But it takes a change in our thinking, and that is deliberate. We have to identify our old ways of thinking, things that are not compatible with this culture that we're living, this new culture of the kingdom, and be aware of the patterns of thinking that we have in our own lives. It's so easy, isn't it, just to go into spirals of old ways of thinking that can lead to you know, depression or uh, lead to just wrong behaviour. And so identifying those old patterns of thinking, and, and they're patterns usually because we've had them for a long time. And so it'll take time then to change them. But Paul particularly tells us not to think according to these patterns. So if someone does you harm, what's the pattern of the world? Well, get revenge. You know, revenge is a, a dish served cold. You know, we'll wait, we'll get them back. That's the old pattern of thinking. What's the old pattern of thinking? If someone hits you, you hit them back. What's the old pattern of thinking? Uh, if someone uh, cheats you, then, you know, you, again, you know, you've got to um, you know, exert your justice over them. What's the old pattern of thinking for you? It's identifying these and then saying, hang on, Stop. That's not the person I am becoming. That's not the person God calls me to be. I'm going to choose instead to follow Christ. Just as Christ chose me, I'm choosing to follow Christ. And so we see that then uh, we're not to conform, but instead to stop the the pattern of habits. uh, Because our vision is greater than just capitulating to the old way of life. Our vision is is lofty. Our vision is towards Jesus. And we don't do these things on earth so we can get to heaven. We do these things so we can bring heaven to earth. 
Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation. When you, be, when you become saved, you are part of the kingdom. You are saved when you confess Jesus is Lord. And you, there's a grace on you. God's grace gifts you this eternal life. But it also, salvation also requires diligence. Dallas, Dallas Willard says something like, grace is opposed to earning our salvation. We don't earn our salvation. It's not by doing good that we are saved. But grace is not opposed to our effort in pursuing God and godliness. So grace is opposed to your works to be saved. But when you are saved, when you're part of the kingdom, grace is extended to you to help you become Christ-like. And that means it, it, it's not effortless. It wasn't effortless for me to learn Turkish culture. I had to be diligent. I had to put my mind to it. I had to be deliberate. And I had to be humble to be able to learn uh, from those who knew better. And so it's effort that goes into it. But that's not effort. You don't have to be perfect to be saved. We don't do this for salvation. We do it out of a love for God and out of working out our salvation. If I've been saved by grace, what does that grace then look like on my life? And so we see that we have to actively seek to be Christ-like. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we don't learn this kingdom culture overnight. It takes time. It takes effort. It comes by renewing our mind. And it comes by choosing daily habits. In Colossians 3, it says... Um, actually, I'll move forward. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore... As God's chosen people, God has chosen you. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Kind of sounds like the vision uh, that Jesus gave us on, on, the, on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? Compassion, kindness, gentleness. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Like Paul's pretty pragmatic. To do this, we're going to rub up against each other. We're going to fail. We're going to offend each other. We're going to, do, we're going to stuff this up. But we forgive one another. And we help one another. And we encourage one another in this process. And what this reminds us is that this kingdom culture was not meant to be done alone. We can't be individuals trying to live in a culture because a culture requires people. It requires a community. And we do this kingdom walk. We do this kingdom journey. We orient our lives towards this vision that Jesus has for us 
walking alongside one another. But we're going to trip up one another. We're going to stumble along with one another. And so we have to be gracious. We have to be kind. We have to be forgiving of one another. But this kingdom process, of this kingdom culture of putting on the kingdom culture that Jesus gives a vision of, we do it as a daily habit. Paul says, clothe yourself. Over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. But in verse 12, he says, clothe yourselves with, and he lists, lists these characteristics. Clothe yourself I want you to remember this morning when you got up and you got dressed. Now, I don't see anyone in pyjamas, so I figured you all change clothes at some point. And you put on your clothes. It's a daily habit, isn't it? To clothe yourself. You choose what you're going to wear. It might be a uniform, might be, or some of us take less time than others to decide what we're wearing, but you chose your outfit, you chose your clothing, and you chose to put it on as a daily habit. That's what Paul is telling us to do. This kingdom culture is a daily choice, a daily choice to put on kindness, to put on love, to put on gentleness. And sometimes during the day, we get a bit frustrated or angry and we kind of rip off our clothing of gentleness, but we can put it back on. We clothe ourselves. And God's grace is on our clothing when we put it on. In fact, the Old Testament uh, judges and many of the prophets, it talks about when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it clothed them. So as you're putting on your clothes, I want you to remember you're putting on the clothing of the culture and the Holy Spirit is putting this clothing on you and will empower you and help you to do it because you are not alone. Not only are we walking with one another, friends in our Christian community to help one another, the Holy Spirit is clothing you even when we don't know it. The story of Esther talks about how she had to go and in a dangerous situation confront the king And it talks about how she put on her queenly robe, her royal robes. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit in that story. But every rabbi commentator I've read talks about how when she puts on those robes, it's the Holy Spirit empowering her to go and do her work. So when you're in your job and it's difficult, when you're in your workplace, when you're at school and it's difficult to follow this kingdom culture, You put on your school uniform. You put on your uniform for work. You put on your outfit for work. And the Holy Spirit is empowering you to be a Christ-like witness to the world around you. Because we are the witness to the world. We are what many of the world, the only Jesus that they will see. So when we stand on that mountaintop and proclaim Jesus, it's not always with words. Uh, If the band, yeah, thanks, could come up. It's not always with words. It's our character. It's how we respond uh, to people who are vicious to us. It's how we respond in those times of challenge. And so Jesus says, here's my witness. Exhibit A, you. Clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with love. And when we do that, we are shouting Jesus from the mountaintop to our very life, our very character. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process in each one of us. 
And therefore, we need to be gracious to one another as we are learning how to clothe ourselves, how to be the people we are called to be. But ultimately, the vision that Jesus gives us is you are chosen. The challenge for each one of us or the opportunity for each one of us is then to choose to be like Jesus in all that we do. As we, as we honour the King, King Jesus, then we also live in His culture And we want our lives to reflect the culture of the King. Thanks.